Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women by sharing their unique stories and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, a former school teacher and principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. Each week, we will feature stories from women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast and our series on voices. Women featured this month are those who use their voices even when they shake to influence and impact our world. Today's guest is one who leads in several spaces, using her voice most often to lead others who lead in schools and other organizations. And it is a great honor to be able to share her with the In Awe community. Jane A.G. Kesey, EDD, is the founder of Differentiated Coaching Associates. For the past 20 years, she has worked as a consultant specializing in team building, coaching, and professional development. She is also the author or co-author of over 25 books, including Unleashing the Holistic Leadership, Thriving Schools, Step In, Step Up, Empowering Women for the School Leadership Journey, Differentiated Coaching, a framework for helping teachers change second edition and intentional leadership. She holds an MBA in finance from the Carlson School of Management and a doctorate in educational leadership from the University of St. Thomas, both in Minnesota. I asked Jane to be on the podcast to center our conversation mostly around the topics found in her most recent book, Step In, Step Up, Empowering Women for the School Leadership Journey, which I have linked to this episode. And first of all, it's the first book that I have been able to find specifically for women in school leadership and also because it is the first one that I have marked up in the margins for a very long time. There's so much gold in that book that I encourage you to simply pause the interview and order a copy because you'll want one of your own and then come right back to us. One note that I want to make for listeners, especially those of you coming to the episode fresh to publication, is that we touch upon gender issues for women's leadership, and we come close to discussing intersectionality, hinting just a tad about race, but we don't go deeper. We had recorded the interview prior to the acute focus in our nation on race discussions. There's much room for the nuance found for women of color in school leadership topics, and Jane's book includes research and information, but for today's episode, we stick to gender. Jane's insights are fascinating to me, and in this episode, we dive into archetypal leadership, power dynamics, sponsorship versus mentorship, and much, much more. What an awesome opportunity to open up this conversation with a leader in the field. I know you will love this one, friends, and I am deeply honored to share with you Jane Kesey for this series on voices. Welcome, Jane Kesey, to the In Awe podcast. I am so excited to have you and have you on this podcast for my listeners to gain from your wonderful wisdom. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's it's fun to find out we're almost neighbors. <laughs> yes, we're Minnesota gals. Um, and we could probably talk about that for a good little while. And we are almost neighbors. And my entire family still exists in the Minnesota world. So I do have a quick question for you that I didn't prep you for. Um, are you a football fan? And if you are, are you a Vikings fan? I did not grow up with football players in the family. So I'm well aware of the... Uh, border feud, thanks to having some cousins in Wisconsin and a daughter-in-law from Hudson. So uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually neutral on the two teams. And uh, can I say I won some bets during the purple people eater years of us losing Super Bowl after Super Bowl. Uh, so you're not supposed to <laughs> bet against your own team, but it was a sure bet. So you and I are very like-minded in several different ways. And that's one of them. I grew up in Minnesota, but I married a Wisconsinite and I traveled across the border. It's been my whole professional existence and my adult life and raising kids has been over here. But uh, I always say that when they play one another, I'm I'm okay with whatever outcome it is. <laughs> so. <laughs> so anyway, well, thank you for indulging me that, that answer. So we have um, listeners that are just, I know they're going to be so excited to hear from you today, Jane. And 
A lot of them are women in education as my primary audience. And so they're just going to want to eat up everything that you say today. Will you do me a favor? You have such a broad and uh, depth filled and wide experience base. Could you just share with us what you're up to right now? Like what's your current context? Well, like most of America, I'm working from my home office. And it's an interesting time because in general, I think about having the biggest impact when I'm out in public working with schools or, uh, you know, facilitating workshops. And while I've got a lot of experience in doing that online and am certainly still engaged in several things like that, it's really different to not have that uh, in-person contact when you're trying to do uh, things where interaction is key. You know, I'm, I'm very much about mm. helping leaders understand who they're leading and how those people are and aren't like them because leaders in general tend to meet the pe- meet the needs of people most like them. And hey, if it mm. worked for me, that's what everybody needs, right? And that's just human nature. So doing it virtually where I can't quite as easily see the ahas or the puzzlements, it, it makes for a different thing. And yet it makes for new opportunities as well, because uh, now I'm, and I'm, I know I'm doing a run on sentence here for two English majors, but I think about, <laughs> um, <laughs> I think about my work as trying to make the things I've done hands-on with schools scalable and sustainable. And so there's a piece of the current environment where I'm getting more of an opportunity to do that. So uh, that's, you know, whether it's making sure leaders have the tools they need to really support everyone around them. So everybody wants to be where they are. You know, in a school, I think of it as can a leader create an atmosphere where the teachers really want to be there, the students actually want to be there, the parents want to be there. Uh, and that's that's the kind of scalable, sustainable work I'm hoping I can engage leaders in. It's really beautiful work that you do. And I loved hearing you kind of outline the fact that it's a challenge, but you're seeing the uh, possibility in that challenge. And when we're having this interview, we've been in the midst of this COVID-19 pandemic for a while. Um, When the podcast airs, it'll be even longer. And so I just really appreciate that we're on this continuum of, of processing what our roles look like now. Um, and I'm sure I would assume that you've been having some really interesting conversations with the school leaders that you're working with, because we've all just had to very quickly pivot and figure out, I don't want to say that new normal, but what does it look like now to lead remotely? Um, and so I really appreciate kind of getting your lens from that. Any any big kind of ahas in the moments where you realized your work has served well in the past in a moment now, like the, the leaders that you've coached before? The leaders that I was already engaged with, it's been fascinating listening to how much of what they were already emphasizing before is still valid. In other words, if you're thinking about the big things of leadership, then when you are thrown the kind of curveball we were, what you were thinking about still applies. It's really interesting to see it play out. Yeah, I agree. I, um, I've never been so happy to see the circle of educators that I surround myself with coming up with new ways to keep relationships you know, built and connected with their staff and with their families and with their students. And I think one of the big things has been um, probably a more intense view on what engaging families looks like, uh, because parent connections with kids is such a different world right now. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, I think 
you know, there was there was a concern about what it means to try and bring equity. And so many of the leaders I'm working with are taking this as an opportunity to think even more deeply about that in ways that I think are going to help us going forward. Oh, yes, I agree with you. So thank you definitely for pointing that one out. Um, because it's I, I've heard that it be on the four of minds ever more than it had before and on on so many different angles on that too. So instead of getting too far into the weeds on that one, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and shift <laughs> our conversation a little bit and say, I'm so excited to that you agreed to come on this podcast. I am um, trying not to be a fan girl a little bit, but I am. And just to share that I asked you to be on the series because I believe that you have such a wisdom about you and a collected experience that you can serve us. And one of the main things I want to be able to talk to you about is your experiences and your wisdom as it relates to leading women. And I know that it's a journey that you've been on yourself your whole life, but if you could just kind of delve a little bit into this topic of leading women and empowering women for the school leadership journey, as is the subtitle of your uh, recent book, Step In, Step Up. You know, education is still uh, an area where the preponderance of the workforce, the professional workforce is female, and yet the leadership and how leadership is viewed is still mostly male. And so it's an area still fruit for, uh, fruitful for development and pondering how did we get here and what do we do now? You did such a beautiful job of that uh, and distilling it down to that topic. So you're a very knowledgeable person about this. And every now and then I'll pop out these stats on the In Awe podcast because I am deeply interested in this as well. And looking at the research and the information, do you want to share with the listeners kind of what your knowledge base is in regard to the percentages of leadership representation from women in the educational atmosphere? Well, I think the, the, what one of the criticisms we got as we were bringing out the book, which um, it's called Step In, Step Up. And I just want to say, accidentally, the acronym is SISU, and SISU is a, a Finnish word. We did not know this when we were writing it. It was pointed out to us in a workshop. And SISU means, you know, acting with courage and fearlessness. And I, th- I don't think you have to be fearless. I think you just have to keep acting. So that was, you know, we're, we were joking around with SISU Women Lead not knowing, I mean, it, so that's just, a, I, I love how those kinds of uh, synchronistic things help spread your message in a different way. There are definitely more women in education leadership than there have been in the past. There, what we see though, is it's mostly at the elementary level it is, or at the district level, it will be in not the top roles, but the support roles. And it's still very rare at the high school level. And so, uh, you might see 50% of the principals now being women, I think is close to it. And, you know, that's a great increase, but we've still got about a 70% female workforce. Do we need it to be 70% female leaders? I'm not sure that's the goal as much as recognizing that the, what we call the archetypal female way to lead is not celebrated. And I think that's the bigger issue. I love your book, by the way. Um, And so listeners, I will be sure to link that and you should definitely pick that up. Do you want to describe a little bit about what the archetypal leadership style of women is like? Yeah. You know, I think one of the, 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 it's the idea that not all men or women act like quote unquote men and women. And of course, we've got a, a spread of gender identity now as well. But if you look at what we expect of the genders or over actually the millennia we've defined in, in terms of masculine and feminine, there are patterns. 
And it's really interesting. There was a study called the Athena Project, where they asked 16,000 people around the world about a bunch of adjectives. And there was amazing agreement on what they felt described women in general and men in general. And, you know, nothing surprising that, you know, women would be considered more nurturing, more empathetic. Uh, Words that were uh, described as more male included leaders, um, assertiveness, other things that, uh, you know, competition. But then they asked a different 16,000 people, what qualities do you want to see in leaders? And eight out of the 10 top words were connected with the feminine archetype, not the masculine archetype. And Mm -hmm. what I think we're seeing is a world that's sick of the rational way of leading. And if you think about it in education, we're very, very logic and objectivity driven right now. It's all about outcomes and measurements and uh, equal, uh, fair equals equal, you know, that everyone's taking the same test on the same day and those kinds of measures, accountability for teachers. And those all come out of what I call the masculine ar- archetype. And when anyone leads not in that way, their leadership is usually seen as weak. It doesn't matter whether they're male or female. And on the flip side, the feminine is what we call whole child. You know, and you're seeing a like a pendulum swing back toward re, um, realizing that if children don't have um, the, their social and emotional needs met, they can't learn. That's interdependent. You know, what whatever's causing those things, um, we need both in a school. So we're not talking about replacing the masculine way of leading. We're talking about getting a better balance. And if we go too far toward whole child leadership coming out of this crisis we're in right now, um, then we'll end up swinging back the other way again, just as we did in 2001 with no child left behind. Um, you know, things were too far on the, um, soft side, almost of what we were expecting from students. And so uh, to me, this whole idea of women in leadership, there are more women who lead out of that feminine style. And so getting that right balance in education will require adding more women. I, uh absolutely love how you framed this conversation and how you framed the message in the book about needing that balance and putting it in the space of the archetypal leadership means that we're not saying all women are going to lead like this and that all men are going to lead like this. I just really value uh, how you distilled that and how you presented that in the book. And I do really value that you made it Context specific, like, you know, we're talking about building relationships and we're talking about seeing to the needs of the whole child and, you know, seeing a lot about let's throw out standardized testing, see it's so broken and all of that, but we don't want to lose our sight on good practices of measuring what we're doing, right? You know, it might not look the same. Right. But we do need to be able to evaluate our effectiveness and our programming. And um, we're not here to argue the best way to do that, but we want to make sure that there's a balance. And so it's like that idea of balancing your managerial and your instructional leadership um, for, you know, to take it out of the gender space. And so I just, I love it. It's so smart, um, the thinking in here. I was just say it's really the both and thinking is what I like to talk about it as. And and we do either or so often in education. You know, I mean, who doesn't know that it's both and for reading for pleasure and learning phonics? You know, it's the thought that, you know, just to take a gender completely out of it and think about both and thinking, the thought that you can mechanically teach children to read without the love of story or information, it, it, it's mind boggling that anyone thinks that would work you know, versus 
the the actual motivation <laughs> catalyst of wanting to read what you're reading. It's both. It's not either or. And we can we could just stop fighting these battles if we were open to seeing the wisdom of the other side. It's a polarizing issue. And, you know, we see so much of that in a lot of different spaces, specifically in our country. What I love about your work is that it kind of transcends just the United States. You have such a great expanse of information in here and examples. And you're so widely connected that I just really appreciate the perspective that you provide. And I think one of the things that I want to make sure that we, we kind of get to is, is right at the start, you talk about leadership and power. And this is something that, you know, I've seen in other spaces and thought about quite a bit. And so would you just do me a favor and kind of educate our our listeners about the idea of power and prestige being separated um, in this idea of power over and power with? Sure. (laughs) It is so key. It, you know, I think a lot of women have sort of internalized the idea that power is bad. As a matter of fact, um, my co-author on the book is an Australian, Barb Waterston, and we were doing a session in Australia and someone asked one of the other speakers, but you don't like having power, do you? And the woman said, power lets you get things done. And you're mixing up power over, which is the abuse of power, with power to. You know, positional power lets you set some of the agenda. When you become a principal or a superintendent, uh, power over would mean it's my way or the highway. Power to says, I do have a vision for students. And I do have a vision for our education community. And I have some power as long as I'm also exercising power with those who are going to help me carry this out to further that vision that I've carefully cultivated. It's my why. It's why I'm willing to do the hard work of leadership. And so we often find that women first have to realize that power too is a good thing. And then they have to figure out what they want the power to do. Just like I said, I want the power to help school leaders create environments that everybody actually wants to be in where everybody can thrive. That's, that's what drives me to, to, uh, you know, as an outside consultant, I don't have positional power, but you know, people pay (laughs) me to come in and influence what's going on. Uh, so I have the power to influence, even as I am so (laughs) collaborating with what is the vision that's in place that they're asking for my help in trying to do. I love it. And I I really appreciate that we, you know, you couch it there. And I think we do struggle with that. And that is, again, it's a societal norm that's been set for us as women, the messages we get, you know, and that we internalize growing up um, and through the systems. And so I love that idea. And it's very empowering (laughs) when you consider that um, perspective. So thank you so much for for laying that out a little bit. So when we talk about this archetypal view of women in leadership and the fact that we want more, more means, you know, more at the table. Do you want to enter into this idea to talk about the difference between mentors and sponsors? And um, just maybe a little bit about your journey in that way, um, because at some point we we all need to be mentored. We need to become mentors. And then at some point, like you're doing, we need to become sponsors. And so are you comfortable 
kind of sharing a little bit about that aspect? Sure. I think, you know, one, one thing I want to want to say is I didn't start out in the world of education. I came out of college in the midst of the Great Recession back in the 1980s when <sighs> interest rates were 18% and uh, we were in the midst of other crises different from what we've got now. And so uh, my first job was actually with the central bank, the Federal Reserve, and I was one of very few women there. Like you can count us on one hand that were in any sort of professional position surrounded by men. And I was mentored by a woman who came from the New York Federal Reserve Bank. She put together a team of women and uh, grabbed projects for us, which is that's kind of the sponsorship piece of I have these, um, you know, women who are capable of doing this research and this sort of educational forum for uh, other leaders, all of whom were male at that point. And uh, mm-hmm. so that was her sponsorship side of actually bringing us the opportunities is one way I look at it. On the mentoring side, she made sure we knew what we were doing. You know, what skills did we have? Mm-hmm. What did we need to learn? Um supporting us in that, helping us uh, really, you know, I, I think she actually grabbed us. We, this, this is back um, before PCs can exi- existed. You know, we had a 33-pound portable computer uh, was a big, big deal that we got. And there were no spreadsheets or anything. Excel did not exist. Uh, just, you know, and I'm not that old. It's just mm-hmm. everything happened so fast, right? So, um, she she said that we were going to be we, we were going to present to all of the uh, second in commands of all the Federal Reserve banks on how to examine for off balance sheet risks. You know the futures forwards and swaps and everything that got banking into such trouble a decade ago. And one of my colleagues who graduated first in her class from Kellogg School of Management at Northwestern, she said we don't know anything about that. And our mentor said neither does anybody else. You will be the first. Mm. And that's the kind of thing she grabbed for us and then made sure that that first event that we held was a, was a success. You know, she didn't let us drop. It was all about making sure that it was as good as it could be. And that ability to look at other women and say, what do they need to have more of an impact is how I see mentoring. Yeah. And I, what a beautiful highlighted example of your own life. You know, it sounds like a movie. It's like hidden figures. <laughs> when I think about that, like we're going to make ourselves <laughs> indispensable and we're going to learn how to use these new machines and, and all of that. I just am fascinated by that story in your own life. And when I think about, I think about this idea of mentors and sponsors, and I'm just going to be straight. It's I wonder how many people listen and feel like it sounds icky, whether they're male or female listening, you know, um, whatever gender gender identity thinking, well, that sounds sexist, right? Um, And I saw, I want to peel that apart because this is something that industry has known for a long time. We need good mentors to teach us well, and we need good sponsors to open up doors. And this is a common practice for men. You see it all the time yeah. in, in every organization, in leadership. I mean, I can't tell you how many times my peers that I love dearly, by the way, love them, have experiences and opportunities for superintendencies early in their lives because they've, the doors have been open from the people above them constantly, you know, and I've seen it 
rampant and it's not a bad thing. They're great leaders. Mm -hmm. I do not see that same thing happening for women in my sphere. And it certainly hasn't been my experience. I have great, I've had great mentors. I've had great sponsors because of the context that I lead in. They've been predominantly male, you know, that open the doors and that teach me because I was sharing with you in my region, we have um, 5% are superintendents that are females. So this is the context that I kind of live and breathe in, in my own little sphere. But I wanted to make sure that we talk about this because it's not sexist to pinpoint and target and sponsor or mentor other women. It's a matter of making sure that we have a representative. um, No workforce, leadership force, um, you know, that we're making sure we provide opportunities and that when we have the power to do that, <laughs> we exercise it, right? Right. And I think, you know, th- there's a couple things that that have slowed it down in education. One is originally coming from business and it'd be, it'd be a whole podcast on how I got over to education. I mean, it, I think I have it in context someplace, but, <laughs> but um, you know, and actually, what I do is transferable. You know, if, if companies ask me to do things, I still do it for, you know, right now I've got Midwest Dairy and, um, you know, Albuquerque Schools are two of the clients I'm actively working with this week. It's just this, you know, that's, that's how it goes because it's the same stuff. But going back, women in education uh, have a, a group think around we're in it for the children. You know, they have a hard time leaving their classrooms because they're thinking about the one-to-one care that they give to the children. And that's extremely important. I mean, I'm not denying that at all, but it's also kept us from being political when we say we're in it for the kids, that our time should go for that. So uh, you think of what other, in what other industry would, would um, other people being say what the core needs are? You know, you don't have the legislature telling doctors what they have to learn in med school. And Decide, you know, we're in it for the kids has kept us from being advocates. It's also kept us from thinking about how do we move into these positions where we'd have that uh, power to, not power over, but power to influence these things. And I think it's, it's a twofold piece where we struggle with mentoring. One is so many of the women who have moved up, it has been a battle. It has been, um, especially if they and often the ones who have do have more of the male archetype of leadership. They've got to have a tougher skin uh, because of what happens. And I, I don't think we need to look further than how any female is still portrayed in the media, uh, any female leader to understand what I'm talking about. I don't think we have to devote time to that. They're, they can, when they get to where they've got the positional power they need to carry out their power too, there can be an exhaustion factor to turning around and helping somebody else up. And I have heard um, in a very understandable way, I mean, don't, I don't want this to be heard harshly. It's, I got here and they'll have to get here themselves just because they're out of the resources to, to help someone else. Um, it can be a little bit of what goes on. Have you seen that or am I making it up? Oh, no, I'm, I'm as you're sharing it, I was thinking about great conversations I've been having recently with um, other matriarchs in education that have reached high levels and same. Yes. And, and it is exhausting. There's it's almost like it's like exhaustion fatigue for having to be the representative, you know, of all women. <laughs> that, that I love that framing because we hear that from other ways of being othered where they're asked yes. to be the representative or 
everything they do is put through that light. So thank you for putting it in that context. It doesn't, I mean, and I appreciate how you're, you're trying to soften that message, but it's just truth. So it's not a condemnation. We just have to see, you know, what the, what the actual issues are so that we can continue to, you know, face them and, and, and support one another through that. Um, because I know plenty of matriarchs and mavens who are working hard to reach back, but you're right. I mean, even in that process, there's still, it's almost like you're having to fight off, you know, one army with one hand and reach back with your left <laughs> while you're trying to help. It's right. like, it's, it's not an easy struggle that that's really present. And, and, and again, I, I have so many wonderful men listening to this podcast and I appreciate the fact that, um, we are all at different levels of our understanding because even when you said, you know, we can look at females and see how they're treated. I think people are still very blind to how women are treated in leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've seen that as I have kind of launched out and been focusing on supporting women in leadership and empowering women, the amount of people that surprise me still by saying there's no difference. And it's almost like I have always equated it to being colorblind. You know, if we're not willing to acknowledge the differences, we can't challenge the systems. And, you know, we did put as much research in a readable way as we could into the book. So if you're thinking, oh, this really can't be true, or what are the differences between women, or even worse, it's um, these differences are ingrained and women can't change. You know, I encourage you to just see what we had to say about this. There is no doubt that women are still treated differently in the workforce, especially female leaders. Uh, you know, we did, uh, I actually, yeah. if anyone wants to go through a paper where we took 350 pages of neuroscience and pulled it down to a five page reading for discussion, um, to really understand what the brain differences are, I'd be happy to send it out. It, it generates major discussion, but, um, there's no, it, one of the things that we were really trying to emphasize when we do SISU workshops, step in, step up workshops is the individual and collective nature of the journey that, you know, I can help you on your individual mm -hmm. journey. I can help you look at how you communicate. You know, do you do the, the, what's, it's not in our brains, but it's in our culture that women should, for example, apologize when they speak. So we do things like, I'm just really starting to think about this, but I'm wondering, or this may not be a good idea, but, or I'm sorry, I should have, you know, blank, or I, I suppose this is an inconvenience, but, and, and that's not, men don't do that. <laughs> um, there's actually an app you can add right. to, your, to Google that's called Not Sorry where it will flag if you're doing that in your correspondence. So, you know, I can help you see, for example, if that's the kind of thing you do. But there's also this collective piece where if the norms in your school still aren't favorable to women becoming the leaders they're meant to be, then it's a collective effort. You can't be the only one in a staff meeting saying, do you realize that there's been 20 interruptions and 18 of them were males interrupting females, which is... You know, I can mm. say that out of research that that's quite often what happens. And we certainly have seen it at a national level, too. And you have to have you actually have to practice ahead of time saying, if I count and have that data, who will back me up? You know, if this is something that the leaders making the, the whoever's the in positional powers making light of that, that's a collective piece that you can't fight that battle on your own. You have to you know, have support with it. You're making me get fired up. <laughs> I love it. It's just passionate. So <laughs> I, I can't emphasize again, um, 
Jane, I'm so appreciative that that you and Barbara wrote this incredible book, The Step In and Step Up. Step In, Step Up, Empower Women for the School Leadership Journey. My tight circle, I am actually involved in a group called Women in Secondary Education, because as you referenced, there's very few. And we just uh, have been real supportive of one another. And I've loved your book. They've all gotten a copy of it. And I'm hoping that listeners, if you're just interested in this area, what a great resource. And I'll be sure to link all of your information to Jane so that listeners can engage with all of the topics that you're passionate about and consider even those that are in organizations and want to bring you in for coaching can do that. I just really value so much of the work that you're doing. I think even as I've been watching over time and um, doing my own learning and growing and my own research and my own work on influencing and creating this community is one of the steps and all of this, I just, I feel like there's no better time as this. It can feel a little exhausting uh, to continue the conversations, but it's also so important. And we don't want to think that we have arrived because we clearly haven't, which you've shown in the evidence in your book. And you've provided a really helpful guide to empowering ourselves to continue moving this forward. So I just really want to make sure I thank you for that. Well, thank you for the opportunity. You know, you don't write books to write books. You write them to help somebody else. So uh, that's the only reason it exists. Isn't that the truth? And so I'm so grateful that you did. I want to make sure that uh, as we close up this interview, that we get an opportunity to hear the two standard questions from you because my listeners have come to really appreciate those. And I always know that there's a mission in your message. So the first one is, if you were to write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? You know, I had a hard time with that one. Um, And I think what I I finally, I am introverted. You know, I I could spend... days, not really interacting with anyone and play with ideas in my head and all. And so part of this is directed at part of what I came up with was focus outward faster and realize the Mm. impact, the good and the bad that I'm having on others is part of a a personal thing or what I can learn from others. But I also think for women in education, we can get so focused on our, um, what's happening in our classroom or our building or our circle that we're not looking at the bigger trends that might be the catalyst for the next step we want to take. So well stated. Um, And again, I've heard you a couple of times in throughout this interview, kind of go back to the fact that you got to know yourself and know how you work so that you can lead others well and understand that they're different too. So I appreciate that introvert piece, but that we can all kind of exercise our non-dominant hand and, you know, work on some of that. So thank you for that. How about this one? If we have listeners who are finding themselves in a pit of fear or doubt and they need to hear Jane's wonderful wisdom to help them rise up out of it, what could you say? Well, a couple things about that. I think a lot of us are struggling in fear and doubt right now. And, you know, we have to keep moving. There's just, you can't do anything unless you're somehow moving. So I've got a couple things to say. One is if we let go of the size of the difference we're trying to make, then we can live in comfort with the very true fact that perhaps my influence will really just impact one other person. You know, we're mainly talking about women today, but I don't know the impact that person's going Mm. to have. It could be that my taking the time with one person means that she's empowered to teach a better classroom. And in that classroom is a member of a family that uh, becomes a great leader in the family and produces, you know, I mean, it just goes on and on that ripple of influence, or it could be that you're meant to have a wider platform. 
And this is something that, you know, I, I wrestle with all the time is I, I kind of, I mean, I'm in my legacy years. And so what's my legacy? And I have to be really comfortable with sometimes it's concentrating on the, the people, the, the smaller numbers that are really doing the work and making a difference um, versus trying to make it be a, a big number that I'm targeting. But I also think that part of that is so often women or any, any, everyone, you know, in the, in the work I've done on career counseling and coaching, they have this image that they're walking a tightrope. And if they make a mistake, they're going to fall off. And that's it. That if they take the wrong job or um, say no to the, the, an opportunity that they should have said yes to, they're somehow going to fall and go into the abyss and never have another chance to make up for it. And I think it's much, much uh, fruit, more fruitful and more empowering to think of your whole career and influence journey as if you're water skiing. And I know not everybody has the well, it's disputed whether Minnesota or Wisconsin have more lakes. It depends on how big they are, right? But we, we all learn to water ski. And in water skiing, you know, you hold on to the, the tow rope and it tows you behind the boat. And as long as you stay within the wake, it's actually really boring, isn't it? I mean, you just kind of bump along and nothing happens, but you're safe. When you go outside the wake, yeah, there's there's unknowns. There's the wake from other boats. There's bigger waves. There's, you know, you're trying to stretch how far out you can go and all of a sudden you fall. But you don't go into an abyss. The, wa- the, the boat comes back around and picks you up and gives you that tow rope. And this isn't my original metaphor. I heard it someplace else. But I really think it's key to think of it as if I fall in trying to increase my influence as a leader, what I have the power to do while I'm building my collaborative team and mentoring others, if I fail, the boat will come around and I'll get another chance. It might be in a different way. I might learn something that I didn't know I needed to learn and certainly didn't want to learn, <laughs> but you know, I'll get back up and still be able to, to do the next go round. That's so good. There's so much compassion in that image and that myth of perfectionism or the myth of the single story of our failures as being the last thing is just so prevalent and it creates that imposter in our mind. And, and if we feed it, then, then we have that danger. So thank you. Those are very empowering words. And it's interesting. I just feel like I needed to hear that from you right now personally. So I'm very grateful for those words that you just spoke. Okay. So Jane, uh, you are a woman of influence. You have uh, multiple avenues of people that communicate with you. What is the best way that my listeners could engage with you after this interview? You know, if you go to my website, janekeasy.com, there's some pithy information on, on what I do and a contact page. And that I think most people find that the easiest way to contact me. Awesome. That's how I found you. So I will go ahead and endorse that. (laughs) So Jane, thank you so much for your time. I am so excited for my listeners uh, to continue to learn from you. This episode certainly gave us enough to think about, has demonstrated your wisdom in so many different ways. And I'm just so grateful for the work that you are doing in this world, the light that you are and the wisdom that you're sharing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast, and I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests, and I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much, and I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.